Well, welcome everybody joining us at the broadcast location, Nacogdoches Online Campus, Duncan and Dieball. We're continuing in this biopic, this massive series, larger than life character, King David, the controversy and the courage, the Goliaths and the Bathsheba, the shadows of his character to find the light of Christ's character in him. David is going to be an imperfect person, an imperfect king, an imperfect leader, but he's just a shadow of the perfect king, the one true king. And so as we continue on in week three, I've titled this message, The Reason for the Treason. We're going to dive into that today, but we have to understand that we're in a part of this series that is origin stories. We haven't even seen David born yet. David hasn't been born as the seventh son of Jesse. He's not been anointed as king. He hadn't even been out in the shepherd's pasture, keeping the sheep and writing songs and tackling bears and lions. Yes, that happened. We'll talk about that a little later. We've actually been in the uh, geographical landscape and, on the, on, and the biblical landscape of the book of Judges. Now, Judges, as we said last week, don't think Judges like this. Think Judges like the Bible, and it's not a gavel and, and uh, uh, black robe. Judges simply means, really, book of saviors. It's a better way to understand the whole book of Judges because... There was the need for a savior. God is showing us through the entire story of God from Genesis to Revelation and even today in 2021, part of the story of God is unfolding every single day that we all need a savior. But through the book of Judges, through the book of saviors, he's showing Israel, I am going to answer the questions of your needs. When you say, how, God? I'm going to be the how. When you say, why, God? I'm going to be the answer to the why. He's the answer to the question, but they wanted to do it their own way. In fact, Judges chapter 21 says it pretty clearly. In those days, Israel had no king. In fact, God had said, don't get a king. You won't need a king. Trust me to be your authority. Trust me to be the supreme sovereign ruler over your life. But they had no king, and so the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like we're living in judges, right? Sound, sounds like your kids and my kids, right? Like we tend to do whatever seems right in our own eyes. And so the book of Judges goes through six cycles of this sin and oppression and repentance to God. And God will now bring a savior or a judge and will deliver them and forgive them and reestablish them. And then they will sin and get oppressed again and repent. And God will bring a savior. And so six cycles of that and a judge on either side, there are 12 judges through the book of Judges, 12 saviors through that. And the last savior of the book of Judges, that last judge, his name is Samuel. Now you may be familiar with Samuel because in week one of the Shadow King, we talked about a man named Elkanah who had two wives, Penny and Hannah. Penny had tons of kids, Hannah had none, and Hannah cried out to God, God, would you, would you, would you help me have a baby? And, and, and Lord, if you give me a child, this isn't about answering my needs. I want to fulfill a promise to you. I will give this child back into your service. A razor won't touch his head. In other words, he'll take a Nazarite vow. He'll, he'll convert to the priesthood. He'll become a Levite and serve in the temple of God all the days of his life. Well, she gets pregnant. She has a baby, and she names him, of course, Samuel. 
Samuel grows up in the priest's house. He understands the importance of the, 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 the priestly responsibility over Israel and also a prophetic voice over the tribes of Israel. Remember, Israel is, doesn't have a capital city. There is no court system. There is no constitution. It is a, a ragamuffin group of tribal chieftains and elders and, and kind of making decisions over, over campfires. Uh, they're just trying to get together on this thing. And Samuel grows up in that area, in that era and time. Samuel grows old. He gets to be the wise old sage. And we pick up his story in 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he now was in a succession plan. He was passing the baton. And he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. Again, there's no constitutional process. There's no election. There's no, you know, let's throw this into the fire and see what name pops out. He's just going to elect the next leaders. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. In other words, they, although they were supposed to be helping people by being responsible to mediate the sins of the tribes of, of Israel... Uh, they were jacking up the price of turtle doves. Uh, they, they were perverting justice by making the scales heavier. Uh, they were getting some backroom deals going so they could, could line their own pockets and take care of themselves. It was more about them and the role they were playing. And people were catching up on it. People saw it. And so all the Israel, uh, elders of Israel, these tribal chieftains, they gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah kind of his, his hometown area. Here's what they said. They said to him, you are old. <laughs> That's nice how you say that. They didn't, they didn't kind of cushion the whole thing. Look, dude, you're old, all right? And here's what's furthermore. Your sons, they don't follow your ways. I know that you've been good and you've been faithful and you've been God's mouthpiece for the nation, but your sons, eh, they ain't doing it. Your sons ain't a chip off the old block, Sammy. So here's what we want. Here's what we want you to do, Samuel. Instead of just appointing your own guys who are up to no good, they started making trouble in the neighborhood. They got in one too many fights and they're, you know, you, we got mad. Anyway, that was Fresh Prince. That's not, that's not the Bible. They said to him, you're old. Your sons don't follow your ways. Now, here's what we want. Even though God said, don't ever do this. Appoint to us a king that will lead us such as all the other nations have. The other nations they were supposed to drive out of the land, the other nations that were pagan and ungodly, the other nations that even though they had a king, they still had turmoil, they still had trouble, and they had the one true God. And yet they wanted to look like the rest of everybody else. So when they said, give us a king to lead us, well, <laughs> this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Now, here's why it displeased Samuel. Not because, not because they were asking for a king, but because they were talking bad about his boys and about him. Like they didn't trust him to make the right decision. And so here's what the Lord said. The Lord told him, listen, listen to all the people are saying to you. It isn't you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They're wanting a manly king and I'm their king and they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. God's kind of saying, get over yourself, Sammy. This has nothing to do with you. This has everything to do with me. Can I give you a little hint in some life and relationships? Can I give you a little life hack? 
Whenever someone says something that wounds you or hurts you or is mean to you, do you know many times when you feel rejected, it's not you that they're rejecting as much as it's the rule of God in their own life that they're rejecting. The old adage is this, hurt people, hurt people. And so many times hurt people, they have rejected the ointment of God in their own life. They have rejected the pattern of finding freedom in their own life. And so they will in turn, even accidentally, unintentionally, or even intentionally hurt other people because hurt people hurt people. Samuel's displeased and these guys are rejecting Samuel, but he's saying, hey, you know why they're really rejecting you? It's because they're really rejecting me. In fact, this isn't new. God says, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt. Like God had split the Red Sea. God had parted the Jordan. God had provided a cloud by day and a fire by night. God had provided manna in the desert, bread in the desert for 40 plus years. God had provided uh, sweet water that was bitter water. And, and the bitter water was in this place called Mara. And the bitter water was no good. And, but the bitter water was a better water when the bitter water was made better with wood because they threw wood in it. It was better and it wasn't bitter. And anyway, he'd done all these things since he brought them up out of Egypt and they still keep forsaking me and serving other gods. That's what they're doing to you, Samuel. They're doing to you exactly what they did to me. Now, here's a question. We're going to actually ask a few questions today and look for the answers. Question number one, what's so wrong with the nation of Israel demanding a king? I mean, every other nation had a king and uh, kings don't seem to be so bad. What's wrong with demanding like a chief leader, a, 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 a key leader to band everybody together and get us organized? What's wrong with that? Well, write, write this down in your notes. Wanting a king isn't wrong. Then wanting a king isn't wrong, but God is sovereign. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, and he knows that they don't want just a leader that will help them in governmental Robert's rules of order and constitutions and declarations of independence and, and, and amendments. Like He knows that they're going to put all their trust and all their hope and all their life, and they're going to put all of their worship behind a king because that's what other nations were doing. So wanting a king isn't wrong, but putting your hope in them over God is. We said this in week one, everybody's searching for a king. Whatever that thing is that gives you stability, prosperity, and happiness. So our paychecks become king. Our relationships become king. Our Performance becomes king. Our security becomes king. Our retirement benefits become king. Our emotional health becomes the driving king. And if I don't feel very stable with what people are saying, uh, the opinions of others become king because their opinions will either give me stability or instability. Their opinions will either give me happiness or, or, or make me unhappy. It's amazing how people can become kings and queens in our lives, and we don't even realize it. Wanting a king isn't bad, but putting all your hope in them instead of God is. And you know that there are two ways we reject God as king. Two ways we reject God as our king. The, the, the first is very simple, and, and I would say uh, very uh, uh, it, this isn't nonchalant. This is very blatant. And the first one is this, outright, write it down, outright rejection. 
So you literally have said, okay, if this is, if you're rejecting God without right rejecting, you're saying no God, cold shoulder to God, middle finger to God, turn your back on God. I don't want what you have. I don't need you in my life. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, I know that's what God says. I don't care. Okay, that's outright stiff arming, outright rejection. And I would say that most people, usually that's not the direction they go. Some have done that way, but most do not. Um, usually it's, it's, it's much more subtle and yet still just as severe. And it's this, it's outsourced dependence. You don't reject God by saying, forget you, God. But you reject him by saying, I'm going to depend on all these other things. I'm going to rely on all these other feelings, all these other emotions, all these other political preferences. I, I am going to lock into every single news cycle that I can. I will never turn off CNN. I will never turn off Fox News. I will never stop sharing more and more information because I'm going to feed myself. And what can happen is you outsource your dependence to a news cycle. And to the fear mongering. We outsource our dependence to the paycheck. Or to the ABC Incorporated. And this is what Israel was doing. They, they, they just didn't want to do it God's way. And so they wanted to outsource their dependence upon a king. Because the rest of the nations were doing that. And so here's what God says. Okay, if that's what they want, here's what we're going to do. God says, now, listen to them. Listen to them. But warn them solemnly. And let them know, okay, be careful what you wish for. Let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. God is saying, I told them they're not to have a king, but they're asking for a king. So you know what I'm going to do? As God of the cosmos, as God of the universe, who holds the whole world in his hands. He's going to let him make the decision. He's not going to force him. Why? Because he's a God that gives us free will. Now, if it's so bad for them to have a king, why did God say, okay, this is really bad, here you go? That seems a little unfair. That seems a little, I don't know, a little twisted for the God of the universe that's all-knowing to do something that he knows isn't the right thing. Why would God do that? Well, let's answer that question. Let's start by answering it this way. Sometimes God may answer a selfish prayer to help us learn. You have been praying for something that isn't even God. You haven't even stopped to say, God, should I even be praying this way? Is this really what you want? I know this is what I want. Is this what you want? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or is this just my will be done? Can you change it in heaven? Like sometimes God answers a selfish prayer to help us learn a lesson. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, with our kids, you know, you, you say, okay, all right, go ahead. If that's, you're, you're not going to want to, you're not going to be hungry. If you keep eating that, you're going to get sick. Okay. No, you're going to be too tired. You're not going to want to do that. And then when we do this and you're going to be in trouble, because I told you, if you don't do you're not going to want to do this later. Do clean your room now while you have time. Otherwise later on, you're going to be all wanting to do stuff and you're not going to be able to go because you didn't clean your room. No, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then they're like, Oh, I don't want to clean my room. I'm going to miss this thing. Like, okay. I told you sometimes a parent answers a selfish plea of a kid 
to help them learn. You can trust the words of your parents. The Apostle Paul says it like this in the book of Romans. He says, there were times where although people knew God, they, they didn't glorify him as God. They didn't honor him as God, and they did not give thanks to him. They, they put matters into their own hands. They glorified themselves, and their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts became darkened. The less you glorify God, the more you glorify yourself, the less you hear God's voice, the less you see God's path, and the more you hear your own voice in your own path. And here's what happens. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one Another, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. In other words, he answered their prayer to help them learn. Okay, you, you, you don't want to glorify me. You don't want to thank me. I'm going to let you go down this path and see what, how it does. See if you are going to be so thankful after you go down this path of sin. And many times you go down that path and you're not going to be thankful. You're going to be regretful. So if it's so bad, why did God give it? Well, again, sometimes God may answer a selfish prayer to help us learn. He, he allows us to, the choice to eat the fruit of the wrong tree. But you know, can I also give you a little hope in here? <laughs> the good news is sometimes, sometimes God's mercy takes the form of unanswered prayer. See, many times he may answer a prayer to help you learn. Other times he may be blessing you by never answering that prayer. God, I want that promotion. I want that job. And that job, though, is going to uproot your family from stability. That job is going to become more of a king than, than, than God is your king. All of a sudden, that what looks so attractive to be able to have that extra money, but it's going to cause you to travel. And all of a sudden now, you're not going to be able to be with your family on Sundays at church. And you're going to have to be uprooted from a church that's taking care of your kids or that church is helping you grow in Christ-like character, conduct, and conviction, and you're going to be kind of lost and you're going to be without that friendship group. And many times God mercy can take on unanswered prayer. You're praying for the job. And he's like, I love you too much to give you that raise. I love you too much to, to let you push away from that. I love you too much to let that thing stay hidden. And so I'm going to actually bring it to the surface and then it's going to burn and it's going to hurt for a while. I'm going to have to lance the boil, but you're going to be better. My mercy is that I'm not going to let you keep it. I'm going to actually heal it. That's the way God works. But on this occasion, God is going to answer the prayer they're praying, even though it's the wrong prayer they're praying. So, Here's what Samuel does. Samuel goes to those elders in the tribe of Israel and he says, hey, um, here, here's what God said. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. Okay, you want a king? You want a king? Basically, Samuel's like, okay, 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 okay. Careful what you wish for because you're going to get it now, homie. And here's what, here's what Samuel says to them. If you really want a king, you've got to understand this king is going to take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. What is he saying? A king is going to establish a national guard. The king is going to establish an army. And some of your boys are going to die. Your, your boys are going to serve him and be in front of his chariots. And you're going to bury your boys. Do you know what you're asking? You're going to cry over caskets. 
Some he, he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. So that's good news to some of you. Yeah, some of your boys are going to come home and they're going to have medals of honor on their chest and they're going to be leaders and you're going to be proud and they're going to come home and surprise your whole family in the middle of the half, half, half court and the basketball during halftime and they're going to surprise during the video and here he's going to come in all of his awesome clothes and you're going to turn around and it's not the mascot, it's him and that's going to be great. But the other side of it is there's going to be those that plow the ground and reap his harvest and others are going to become blacksmiths and make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots and they're going to put in 18 hour days and they're not going to get thanked and they're going to eke away an existence and he's going to take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. On top of this, you know what he's going to do in order to take care of all this? He's going to take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves, and he's going to give them to his attendants. He's going to take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and, and those attendants. In other words, he's going to tax you. You're going to have to pay tax now. Do you even, what's tax? Well, get a king and you're going to find out. And Samuel says these words, when that day comes. And I want you to know that many times, Everything's good. When you let the paycheck be king, everything's good while the paycheck is on the throne. But at some point, that paycheck gets dethroned. At some point, that relationship turns south. At some point, all of the stock you're putting in a spouse, their stability, their prosperity, their, their happiness meaning your happiness, and, and now you've wanted them to act as the king of the throne, the giver of all that. And when the day comes where that doesn't work, when the day comes where the thing goes south, when the day comes where sickness happens and it takes away the freedom, he says, when that day comes and your boys are dying and your daughters are taken from your home, and you can barely eke it out because your best vintage wine, instead of selling it, it's taken up for all of the attendants and the nobles and all the political things. You're going you're gonna to cry out for relief from a king you have chosen. You're going you're gonna to be all upset that the, the, the boats are coming into the harbor and, and he's hacked, hiking up, king's hiking up the tax on the tea and you're going to want to throw all the tea over, overboard and, and, and have a big old thing right there in, in Galilee, the Galilee Tea Party. You, you, you're not going to be happy and you're going to cry out for relief. But here's the sad thing. The Lord's not going to answer you in that day because he's tried to answer you time in and time again, time and time again, time and time again, time and time again. He's tried to answer you and you just wouldn't listen. And can I say something to you, everybody? For those, for those of you that when that day comes, maybe you'll get right with God or right now I'm going to live my life and, you know, I'll, I'll deal with God later on. Don't wait for a crisis to get right with God. You don't even know the condition of your heart when that day comes. 
You don't even know whether you're going to want to make that choice when that day comes. You don't even know if you're going to have the capacity to make that choice when that day comes. Why wait for a crisis to cry out to God? Why wait for a crisis in your marriage to put your marriage in front of God and surrender to him as the king of your marriage? Why, why wait till things get tough? Why not do it while things are right? And this is what Samuel's trying to say. You don't want this because when you get this, you're going to wish you didn't have this because this is going to be a terrible substitute for the one true living God. And you know what the people did after Samuel cried out to them? After Samuel said, your boys are going to die. Your daughters are going to be gone. You're going to be taxed like crazy. Do you know what they did? You know what they said? The people refused to listen to Samuel. They just weren't having it. Here's what they said. No, no. We want a king. We want a king over us. Then we're going to be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Little did they understand that God, even in the wilderness, was going out before them, was going out before them, leading them, fighting their battles a cloud by day and a fire by night, splitting the Red Sea, providing manna while they were sleeping. He was already going out before them and leading them and being the high priest and high king and, and, and fighting their battles for them. So the Lord answered. The Lord answered and he said, okay, Samuel, listen to them and give them a king. Now, I love Samuel's response to all these elders in this moment. He's like, you know, I don't know. I think it's snarky. I, this is how I read it. You may, you may read it as very polite. I, I, I read it as like, get out of my face. You know, you don't even know. Like, I, I can't even believe you right now. Here's what, Sam, here, here's what Samuel said to the Israelites. Everyone go back to your own town. Get out of my face. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. <laughs> probably, we ought to probably rewind that one and take that one out. But oh, well, we are, we are where we are. <laughs> So Samuel says, get out of my face. You guys are going, you're going to make your bed and lay in it now. So what was the result? What's the result of them wanting their own king? Here's the results. The first is this, accidental treason. They didn't even know that they were declaring war on themselves they didn't even know that they were uprooting their own government before their own government even existed. They didn't even know that, that they, were, they, were for, they were doing treason on themselves. They were, basically, they were basically saying, God, this nation that you want to bring together, we want to destroy it by doing it our own way. Can I just say to you, Republican or Democrat, independent, libertarian, whatever. Like so many times we put so much stock in that and it's accidental treason. You are bleeding so much red, white, and blue that you actually are putting all your stability and prosperity and happiness in the wrong kingdom because this kingdom is not forever. This beautiful land, that's your land, it's my land, it was made for me and you, this land is going to burn up someday. This is a temporary place. God's going to come and form a new heaven and a new earth. 
And when we put all of our stock in stock prices, when we put all of our weight in a white house, it's accidental treason against the one true authority. You know what else they did? They did unintentional tyranny. They ousted the key leader. God let them oust him. Let me say it again. God let them oust him. And I want you to know, if you don't want him to be king, you can kick him off the throne of your life anytime. Anytime. Many times it's unintentional. It's unintentional tyranny with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Samuel left, said, everybody go back to your homes. I'm gonna take care of business. I can't even believe this is what it's come to. And so Samuel, uh, in Samuel chapter nine, that chapter opens up like this. There was a wealthy, influential man. <laughs> Notice stability, prosperity. That, uh, Samuel was gonna even look for the right pedigree, the right family, the right stability and prosperity. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish. You, you, you've heard of Kish. Uh, he, he would paint his, his face white and black, had a really long tongue, Kish. No, I'm sorry, that's Kish, never mind, I, wrong person. There was a wealthy, influential man, I'm having a good time, I don't know about you, named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. And Kish happened to have a son, Saul. And he was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Do you see what's happening? They are looking with their eyesight and not with their insight. God is trying to show them, don't just trust everything you see here. Trust what I'm showing you here. Don't go on eyesight alone. Go by insight. That's what faith is. Have faith in your father God. But they had faith in what they could see. Eyesight, not insight. They were yearning for someone they could see. And we finish with this question. What is your heart? What is my heart yearning for? What kind of king is my heart yearning for? Can I tell you as, as your pastor, um, my heart, if left unregulated, my, my heart, if left to its own devices, is yearning for approval, yearning for acceptance, yearning for affirmation. Um, I, I'm a words of affirmation guy. It's part of my love language. And many times, though, my heart can yearn for words of affirmation to where your words of affirmation become the king that I'm yearning for. What can happen is whether I uh, honored God in a sermon or not, what can happen is did the, did, the, did the people think it was good? My heart is yearning for acceptance because I deal with my own issues of needing a king on my, on my throne. And the king of pride or the king of security or the king, king of acceptance or the king of uh, my emotions I can deal with that too. What king is your heart yearning for? To finally hear someone say you did a good job, to finally let that person know, to finally make sure that person, uh, you get even, that revenge is a dish served cold. You finally see they got what's coming to them. Is that the king you're, you're 
you for? Don't, don't. Let me show you the difference between the king that the nation of Israel was yearning for and the one true king that was available to them and available to you and available to me. See, King Saul, he would start out well. He would start out strong. He would help them with the constitution. He would start a national military. He would begin to carve out and bring all of the 12 tribes together under one key rule, like forming the states of Israel. He would get it all going. King started well, but he actually didn't end well. He, he ended, we'll find out later, he commits suicide on the battlefield. Saul kills himself, falls on his own sword in the middle of a battle he's losing after having spent a ton of the rest of his, his life chasing the wrong things out of a jealous rage and insecurities. The king Saul, he started well, but I want you to know the one true king, he does all things well. And the one true king they could put their hope in and the one true king you can put your hope in way beyond the White House, it's his house. It's who he is. He does all things well. King Saul, he was driven by his interest, by his comforts, by his name, by his pride. But the one true king, he is driven by your best interest. It is your best interest. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Your interest is what drove him to earth. Your interest is what drove him to the cross. Your interest is what had him raised in power and the same power that raises him from the dead can dwell in you. His, his interest, he is driven by your interest. King Saul would make his people servants and they would have to serve the, the crown and they would even die for the crown. But the one true king would become a servant and serve you so that you can someday wear a crown. So you can someday be a prince and a princess in the kingdom of God, a son and a daughter of God, the father. And so much to the point that when you see him face to face, he's so beautiful and he's so good. And you'll and know that he loves you all the way down that the first thing you'll do is want to take your crown and throw it at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, throw it at the, the throne of God because he's so good and he's so faithful because he would become a servant for you. Many in Israel, they would die because of King Saul's sin. But the one true king would choose to die for my sin and your sin. The truth is all the kings of the earth, the kings of this earth, here's what happens, write it down as we conclude today. If you obtain him, just know, if you have a king on this earth, that king will enslave you and you will be an indentured servant to that king. The truth is, if you fail that king, he will punish you. If you fail a king of this earth, they'll punish you. But Jesus, the one true king, if you obtain him, if you start with the heart of love, not trying to follow his rule, but loving him with your heart. That makes you want to follow his rule. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you obtain him, do you know what will happen? He won't enslave you. He will satisfy you. He will satisfy you. He will actually shift the desires of your heart and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you seek him first, all the other things can be added. Good news is this. If you fail him, he won't he won't punish you. If you fail him, you know what he's ready to do? He'll forgive you. When you fall short, his grace abounds. This is who Jesus is. 
the story of Israel is not about Israel. It's really about us. The story of Saul and David and Solomon and all the kings to come, it's not really about those kingdoms. It's about this kingdom. It's not about those kings. It's about the one true king that always satisfies. Would you close your eyes this morning? Bow your heads. The truth is, you don't obtain him by bringing him a dowry. You don't obtain this one true king by being a good person and keeping your nose clean and, and, and plowing your fields well and giving him the best of your vintage wine and the tenth of your crop. The way you honor and obtain this king is by simply joining his kingdom. And you join the kingdom of God by inviting Jesus to be king. And the number one kingdom that he's inviting you into, that he's asking you to be invited into, is in your heart. The kingdom of your heart. And so would you just pray with me right now? Jesus, maybe it's my first time, maybe it's my first time in a long time, but be the king of my life. Be the king of my life. I surrender to you today. I give you my throne. Be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for not being mad at me, wanting to, me, to enslave me in rules and regulations, but wanting to, to bring me into relationship with you as a son and daughter. For all of us in the room, maybe you're realizing there's some kings on your throne. It's time to dethrone them. It's time to do some purposeful treason. And it's time to do some purposeful tyranny on the wrong kings that are suited on your throne of your heart. So today, Jesus, we, we declare war on those kings that are not of, not of you. We remove them. We invite you to remove them forcefully from us. We want you and only you, your kingdom come, your will be done as you see fit because you're the true king. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen.